right, would you guys welcome up Bill Boylan? Holy Spirit, don't worry, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> Holy Spirit gave him something he wants to share this morning. I was sitting in the back um, during the music and the Holy Spirit asked me to do something a little unusual and that's to introduce Sean's message. So, to do that, I want to tell you a little about Holy Spirit very quickly. Holy Spirit is a person just like you are. You're a person who has a body. Holy Spirit doesn't have a body, but he's still a person. He's not a green gas floating around the universe. Uh, some of the old Bibles call him the Holy Ghost. He's not a ghost like Casper the Friendly Ghost. He's a person and he speaks to us and he speaks through us. Um, Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as being like rivers of living water flowing out of us. And in a few minutes, some rivers of living water are going to flow out of Sean. And they're going to go inside of you and drench you. Drench the inside of you. The Holy Spirit is not a pond. He's not a lake. He's not a slow-moving little stream. He's a roaring, cascading, powerful waterfall. And that roaring, cascading, powerful waterfall, if, if you're open, is going to roar out of this guy. His words are going to be those roaring, cascading rivers of living water. And it's going to do something inside of you, if you'll let him. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Speak through me. Well, we'll, we'll get to the place um, where we stand and read God's word and, um, and pray over the message. I just want to open up uh, just, to, just briefly and say, you know, this, this last year has been interesting to say the least, right? And, and, whatever, you know, and whatever you think about um, the, the CDC guidelines and all the, the different city and, and state responses, all around the country, schools and businesses are, are starting to open back up. And, and restrictions on public gatherings are loosening. Now in South Dakota, you know, we didn't experience that as severely as a lot of, of other places and a lot of other states, but we did have a time, you know, where kids were home and families were figuring out what to do, right? And so as schools are opening up more and more on the national level, we're hearing stories about families who have been together for the last year and a half or, or, or longer, you know, where, where the kids have really just been kind of around mom and dad. Like, like, you know, if the parents were fortunate enough to figure out that situation anyhow, and if they were able to stay home, for, for many it was this mix of wonderfulness and insanity all at the same time. Some of you are like, yes, amen. <laughs> but because it's been a lot of time where, where families were, you know, taking walks every day or they were on the couch and they were reading an enormous amount of books with probably some screen time mixed in for good measure, right? And kids have had so much time with their parents with the potential to be loved by us and cared by us and led by us and thus also opening the opportunity for parents to teach their kids how to treat each other as siblings right? <laughs> and But now as the nation is preparing to send them out into the world, it's striking a lot of uh, what, what they're finding out is, you know, you all haven't been out. Like, do you even know how to talk with people anymore? And so families and psychologists and therapists are realizing that they kind of have to do a reboot. And, you know, here's how the Smith family operates in society because we're not sure that you know how to anymore. And so some of you might remember a 2011 movie called Hannah. Yeah, the first half of the movie was this dad with his daughter, and he, he took her far away from society to protect her from all the craziness of it. And he basically just taught her how to hunt and to fish and gave her like ninja skills. And, and I remember as a young parent thinking as I'm watching this, um, you know, hey, I kind of, I like where this is going. I kind of like this vibe, you know, vibing with this philosophically. But as the movie progressed, inevitably they had to enter back into society and the dad's sheltering of Hannah actually left her unequipped to know how to navigate kind of the social networks, the relational networks that she was inevitably gonna face. And so you realize, okay, well, I see there's a flaw in this logic here. And so as a loving parent, 
one of our things that we get to do is we have to acclimate our children on how to move out of our house and to thrive into the culture at large, right? That's one of our privileges and one of our challenges. And so I say that because that's what's gonna happen as we spend these next three weeks together in First Peter. I mean, First Peter is doing what every organization does and every organization has a statement of kind of vision and, and a mission statement and values. This is who we are. And, and this is how we act in the world. Every family and every organization, whether written down or not, does that. And Peter's, what he's doing is he's saying this, hey, as the people of Jesus, we have allegiance to him. And, and this is who we are because of our intimacy with him. And so this is how we act in the world. Intimacy with the almighty has changed the way that we act in society. And so that's what Peter says. And so at the beginning of the book, he's talking about this relationship with our dad, our heavenly father and our family. And so now we're, we get to the pivot point of this book, which, which is really where we're gonna root down in this series. And, uh, and, when he, and he says, we're entirely free people, he says. And it's this pivot point in the book where he says, now as the people of God and the family of God, here's how we enter society. Now, if you would, please stand with me, if you can, as we honor the reading of God's word in our key text this morning. So Peter gives us this great statement, and I'm going to read the first part, and then I'm going to have you join me on the second part. He says, we live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And I want you to Read this part with me on three. Ready? One, two, three. We honor everyone. We love the brotherhood. We fear God and we honor the emperor or the, or the government. It's like he walks us out into the culture and he makes us do a quarter turn and he says, okay, people of Jesus, here's how you handle those who believe differently than you. Here's how you operate with the people who believe the same as you. And here's how you treat the people, um, the person who made it all. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we just thank you for your word to us. God, we thank you for that river. And Lord, we just pray this morning that you would do what only you you can do open our spiritual eyes and ears so that we can hear and see the things that you want us to see in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you. So this series really seemed like an obvious way to go when Holy Spirit started leaning into us about getting everybody in the same room. And then of course, this morning, our internet, our live stream doesn't, doesn't function. But, um, you know, we honor everyone we love the brotherhood. We fear God. And so that's, that's where the language came from for that graphic and that idea and that, that whole thing when we, we said one church, one family, one cause. We're going to hit the first one of those today. We're gonna, we honor everyone. And next week, we're going to talk about loving each other, the brotherhood and the sisterhood in the church. And that's going to be awesome. And then after that, I'm so excited for us because we get to hear Pastor Patricia share from her heart right up here in the front row the first Sunday in May. And... Um, um, she's already excited about what Holy Spirit's been stirring in her heart. So she is such a treasure, by the way, to Deanna and I. Anyway, back to, the, to this series scripture. We honor everyone. We love the brotherhood and we fear God. So we're gonna talk about honor today, but we can't just start there because the Bible never does that. We, we've gotta get a running start at this today because the Bible, Peter, and all of scripture argues that you have to get identity right first because we say this a lot around here, your identity determines your activity. Your identity determines your activity. Who you are determines what you do. And so Peter, for a chapter plus some, is telling us this is who you are, and your identity has implications for how you live in the world. And so I've had this long hassle this, this, the, with insecurity. I was bullied um, pretty ruthlessly when I was in junior high, uh, mostly by one upperclassman in particular. And, and so for whatever reason, I've had to work through feelings of, of self-worth and, and my own demons of insecurity and, 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 and all kinds, the kinds of roles I've stepped into, any of them, I've, I've had to wrestle with my own self-doubts. And so I remember sitting in our first staff meeting here right after coming back to Destiny after being gone for almost a decade. And interestingly enough, you know, it was all the same staff as when we had left. So it just felt like family, just felt like sitting, you know, with my old friends, you know, 10 years prior, just coming back and kind of sitting in the meeting. And so it was easy to just kind of, you know, slide right in there where it was comfortable. 
world. And it was just sitting with friends, right? And Deanna and I came in with an agenda that day, you know, a list of bullet points and some direction, some purpose that we felt that God had given us. Uh, but also it just felt natural to, you know, just kind of slip in and just throw in a little commentary every once in a while and, and just laugh with everybody because that's kind of how our staff meetings go. We love each other and we love spending time. And honestly, we felt good with what we accomplished on that first day. But at that time, Pastor Brent was still in-house, one of our founding pastors, and he was kind of staying around as a, as a transitional help. And, um, and we were meeting weekly, and he was, he was kind, of, kind of coaching me through the, the transition. You know, he had been here for the founding pastor for 20-some uh, years, right? And, and I, I remember sharing vision and some structure stuff with him, and we would do that as we'd get together. And at one point, he didn't say it this way. You guys, many of you know um, him, and he, but he... Basically what he did, he, he, he reminded me, he said, hey, you guys are the pastors. And, and, and so you're our leaders, so lead us. Because I, yeah, I kept on coming to the table and said, oh, well, what, what would you do in this situation? What would you do? And, and so he's, he's always been one of my biggest cheerleaders. And, um, and, and he's, always, he's been that for a lot of you too. And he's, he's so encouraging. So he said, Tana and I are stepping into a new season, but, but you guys took on a new identity when you came back to Rapid City. And so that has implications for how you are to act. Your identity is fundamental and you are pastors now. So you need to step forward in that calling and begin to walk in that identity. And so that's true of all of us. That's true of all of us. I'm, I'm, I'm not just here this morning and I'm never here uh, on the pulpit this morning to just you know, say, do this and do this and do this and do this. We've got to start with who we are because I promise you what you think about when you look in the mirror determines how you feel when you walk into a room and it'll determine how you proceed. And so I, I'll give you just a real life example. I, I read several interviews um, when I was doing a project in college of women who were in the porn industry. And a common denominator of all of them was that they were abused as little girls. And, and though none of them you know, heard someone say it directly to them, necessarily that experience lodged into their minds some false truths about them that they believed that you, know, you are unworthy to be loved. No one cares about what you think or how you feel, but you know, your value to the degree that you're sexual and you're dirty and no one will want you as a person. So therefore, this is your lot in life. And so these women subjected themselves to more abuse over and over and over again. Why? Because they believed that identity fundamentally that, you know, hey, and, 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 and it, so this is who I am. So this is what I deserve or, or what's best for me. It's my lot in life. And so if you came to them and said, you know, hey, you just need to stop doing those movies, you know, that's not enough because it was a lie that had lodged in their heart that launched them into a lifestyle. So my daughter, Autumn, I've shared this story uh, many times too, wrestled with this in junior high. And long story short, we ended up pulling her out of the public school system here in Rapid City because of the horrific racism that was occurring, um, that the school just wouldn't confront or do anything about. Students were calling her name, saying things about her because she was native and for no other reason. And it was a pure, you come from the wrong side of the tracks kind of thing. And I mean, it, it would make anyone in this room sick if I were to tell you what was happening. And you know, if you heard what they said and what they did to her. And the thing that made me stop in my tracks is when she came to us and she said with tears in her eyes, I'm becoming what they say that I am. Their hateful words were becoming lodged into her identity. And so we pulled them out and we had a season where, where we homeschooled. And so the reality is for us, the same is true. But, but before Peter says, you know, you need to do this, he says, let me tell you who you are. Your relationship with God has reoriented you to the rest of the world. You're not what they said. Uh, you are what he says. And so the question is, who are you? And so we're gonna cover just three points here. And the first one is who you are. And so I wanna challenge you to do this if you're taking notes, and I hope you are. You know, on the backside of your bulletins, you can do this. Start at the top by just writing in your given name right next there by point number one. And we're gonna start with five things there that are true of us as people who believe in Jesus. So point number one, if you've gotta fill in that blank, is simply this, we are God's people. We are God's people. We belong to the Lord. And Peter says a lot about this in this chapter. And so we'll just highlight five things about you really quick in this first point. And these uh, things are gonna inform not just our identity, but our activity as followers of Jesus. And he says, we are God's people. And as such, number one, you are chosen. 
That's what he said in verse nine. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Or, or, or if we back up and we go to chapter one, verse one, when he was introducing, Peter was introducing himself to them. He said, I'm Peter and you are the elect exiles or the elect chosen. The same idea there that God selected you. And it says, according to the foreknowledge of the father, it says that he wanted you. It, it was intentional and it was closely tied to the second point when he says you're a chosen race and you're a holy nation. We're a holy nation. That word holy means set apart, pulled out, pulled away from there and brought close to here. So you are elected exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. You have a father who chose you on purpose. And in, in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, it says, sanctification and holy are very similar words. You are set apart, away from them, and you're unto me. Now, we can get into some big theological and philosophical arguments about those two words, and we could spend the rest of our time doing that. I'm not going to. Here's what those words are meant to do. They're meant to be a comfort to you. There's something precious about knowing someone wants you. You're chosen and you're set apart for me. You're chosen and you're set apart for Heavenly Father. Some of you know and some of you don't, but in our denomination, there's some big changes going on with redistricting. And it doesn't mean a lot for some of us sitting in the seats this morning, but for pastors and leaders in the Foursquare churches where we get our support and our leadership from, it's a big deal. And so I have some very close friends that I worked with in the district offices who lost their jobs in this transition. But then there are others who are close to me also who were chosen to step into new and bigger roles. It's nice to be chosen, right? And so Deanna could have been with a lot of other guys, right? But she chose me and she set her affections on me. I chose her and I am my beloved's and she is mine. And that's a comforting thought when you have that. You are chosen and you're holy and you're set apart for him. And as such, number three, you're beloved. Notice in the text, it says, you are chosen, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He says, I want you for me. I want you for me. He says, once you, you were, you were your own people once, but now you're God's people. You're my people. And once you had not received mercy or compassion, love and care, he says, but, but now you have my compassion. I'm coming towards you. Verse 11, it starts and he says, he calls them beloved. I love that because it's not just saying the verb like you're loved. He takes the word love and he makes it a noun. He makes it their name. You are the loved ones. Beloved is your name. That's who you are. I'm just gonna call you that now. Beloved, that's who you are. Do you, do you believe that this morning? For, for, for a lot of people, that's, that can be the hardest one to believe sometimes. You know, it's easier statistically, just, just if you come from a loving two-parent home to believe that you're the beloved, it's harder for others. So it, 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 I was listening to an evangelist um, share of one of his journeys to the Middle East. And he was beginning to share the story that Jesus told about the, the prodigal son. And he said that they really understood the first part of the story, um, the gravity of it, you know, the insult of, of a son saying to the father, you know, give me my inheritance ahead of time because I don't want to be with you anymore. I just, I just want the money and I'm going to go and spend it, you know, and do whatever I want. And so they saw, they saw the shock and the offense, the dishonor to a family for a son to say something like that. And he said, you felt, you could feel the anger in the crowd or the tension. But as, as the son ran away and lived in his kind of riotous living and realized that he had made a huge mistake, as Jesus unfolds the story, he's telling it, the son thinks to himself, I wonder if my father will take me back into his house. Right? And, and the evangelist said, as he told the story of the son making his journey back, he said, you could, you, 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 he's talking about the tension in the room. And for many of the men in their culture, the father would absolutely reject that son, possibly even take the son's life. And, and, and he said, as he began to explain to them that the dad, when he saw his son a long way off, which meant he was looking for him, he was longing for him to return, he was watching for him, and he ran for him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him, and he dressed him, and he robed him, and he celebrated him, you know, kill the fatted calf. He said, the room was filled with this pregnant silence. 
it was, it was just quiet. You could feel or even maybe even sense kind of like this longing. Could that possibly be true that a dad could love his wayward child like that? And that's what Jesus was trying to communicate that what your father God is like is when you're a long way off, he ran for you and he embraces you and he chose you. He set you apart and he loves you. You are the beloved. You're not just loved, you are. You've become the beloved. All through this passage, he keeps calling himself dad. He keeps on calling himself father. I'm a father and you're my children. I'm, I'm your dad. He talks like that. Look at chapter one again. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in the sanctification of Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So there's the whole triune Godhead right there. Father, son, and spirit wants to wrap you up in the love of God. You are surrounded by the love of this Holy Trinity. And, and so my children, pretty much all of them, you know, at, at different stages of their lives have all loved to crawl up into our big bed and snuggle between mom and dad. I've still got a few of them that do that. Um, certain days of the week, they knew it's Thursday night. Okay, we're, we're with you, mom and dad. <laughs> and so they, they like the safety of it. And, and Peter's telling these people who they are. You are snuggled into the love of the triune Godhead. You are chosen and you are holy and you are loved. And here's the fourth thing, you are a part of a family. You are children. Your beloved sons and daughters. And notice all these words aren't singular, but they're groups. A chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his possession. You're God's people. And he goes on to say people who know Jesus are from all different ethnicities. And your ethnicities and cultures and different parties that you're affiliated with, you don't lose those identities, but now they're secondary to this one great identity. God took all of us and just adopted this big, random, eclectic community of kids. And you're part of a family. And you're part of a family that are heirs. Um, that according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how we got it. Not from anything that we've done, but because of what he did to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. So he, that's what he said. You have an inheritance in heaven. Your future is secure. No matter what happens in life, you know all of our stories end in victory. You are a royal priesthood. You have royal blood in your veins. The kingdom is coming to you. And that's a comforting thought. So, and we could go through all of these. They all have different implications. Um, you see in the text as children who are holy and chosen and loved, we're also meant to obey. It, you know, we're, we're, we're drawn uh, to him by his love. And then we're drawn to, to act in obedience, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. He says later in the passage, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Think about it this way. My kids were chosen by Deanna and I. We chose to have them or, or we chose to adopt them. They, they didn't make that choice, we did. And, and, and they were set apart to us. They are our kids and they are loved by us. They, we loved them before they had done anything wrong or right, right? They are our beloved children. And as such, we want them to obey, right? And that is not tyranny. It's for their good. <laughs> and so my son, Lazarus, uh, he's my youngest, has really been enjoying our backyard a lot lately. We've got a fenced-in backyard. And the other day, he was trying to eat grass along with a little bit of dirt because that's what he sees the cows do when I drop him off at the daycare. And so when I drop him off every day, we drive by this cows that are in the pasture before we get to the daycare. And he sees it and he, wants, he wanted to give it a try, I guess. And so now it is not tyranny for me to feed him the food that will help him to thrive. Um, he, doesn't, he does not know what is best for him, right? I do. So by obeying me and his mama, he's doing good to himself, right? It's not tyranny, it's actually liberty. But as kids, I want them to obey. As heirs, we're meant to rejoice. He says, if you know that all of heaven and the world is yours, you rejoice. 
is what he's saying. I don't know if, if, if Jeff Bezos has kids, but I promise you, if he does, they're probably not worried about how they're gonna pay for college, right? Richest guy in the planet, right? And the Christian is not meant to be a warrior. All of heaven and earth are ours so we can rejoice. And as a family, we love, and we'll go there next week, but, but we need to, we wanna move to the, another implication. We are God's children and we are God's people. We belong to the Lord. And that's the, the comforting beauty that he's trying to get across to us. But now he presents the second reality that, that's also hard for a lot of people to accept, um, but for different reasons. He says, we are God's people. So we're not like other people. We belong to the Lord and that makes us different from the world. And so you see that in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So backing up again at the beginning in verse one, he called them the elect exiles chosen by God and weird to everyone else, <laughs> right? That's the reality. You are holy and loved. You're a stranger and you're an exile. There's, there's something weird about you as you enter back into the culture. You're different, right? And, and you'll feel that tension. And the tension is in the title. He says, you are a sojourner and an exile or an alien, it says in some translations. In Greek, it's the word perokos. Kos means house and peroi means alongside. So it means that there's a community that's in the house and you're near them, but you're not in. So you live by them, but you're not part of them. And, and the other word, parapodimos, carries the idea of you're in this culture, but you're just passing through. And so those two words together, sojourners and exiles, or, or some translated aliens and strangers, they work together to say, I live here, but I'm not from here. And I'm not here long. That's what it's saying. So a current day illustration of this would be kind of like a diplomat or an ambassador. Um, I belong to another country and I have a home in this one, um, but it's not a permanent home. I'm here, but I'm not party here, but I'm here. I'm rooted, but my roots are shallow. And so I'm here for a while, but I'm not here forever. And, and then the question is with that, how do you act? If you know that you're a stranger, how do the beloved act also as pilgrims, right? That, that's, the, that's the thought that's posed here. And what he tells you is the first thing is we act different because we are different. He gives us that in verse 11. We are sojourners and exiles and abstain from the passions of the flesh. I love the way John Piper said it. Um, this is what he says. He says, the Christian is at a home in every culture and at odds with every culture because the gospel is at home in every culture and at odds with every culture. The message of Christianity is not, you know, change your life, accept, uh, adopt your lifestyle, visit some holy city. It, it doesn't matter how you're, you're dressed or how you're acting in the moment. No matter where you are, the message from for the gospel is that God came for you. He sent his son for you, that, that the son that lived a perfect life for you, the son that died for you, the son that was resurrected for you, that son offers life to you. And you are adopted in as family, not based on your work, but his. So you are renovated from the inside before you've even done a thing. And so the gospel comes into any culture, any political culture, any skater culture, any rap culture, any hip hop culture, any country culture. It comes to any culture, any ethnicity, and it's at home in any country that gospel can move in. And yet the gospel is at odds with every culture. Not all of it. That's why Christian worship can take on this myriad of, of different flavors and use all kinds of instruments. But every culture, because they're fallen, will be challenged in different ways by the gospel. That's why some of you who may be from a more liberal political persuasion, and at times you've been tracking with us, and I'll say some things that'll make you go, hmm, yeah, right. And then I'll say some other things and you go, why did you say that? Right? Because parts of your culture will agree and in other parts, the gospel will challenge. And if you're from a conservative political culture, I'll say things that'll make you go, yeah. And then I'll, make, I'll say some other things and you go, why did he say that? It's because the gospel's at home in any culture and also challenges every culture. And that's the beauty of it. And so he says, go home and go back into your culture. But once the gospel's landed in you, you have changed citizenship. So your citizenship is now your beloved 
chosen child of God. So now go back into that culture, but you're gonna be going back different and you'll walk back into it and some things will be different because of it. And there's some things that you used to do that you won't do anymore. You abstain, it says, which means stop it. (laughs) You, You don't do certain things. Why? Because they're passions of the flesh. There's, there's a part of you that will still want them, but you know now that they, they, they wage war against your soul. It's a deeply personal reason why we don't do some of what our other friends do, because we knew, we knew that what we thought was freedom is actually slavery. The passage, uh, this passage wages war on, on the modern thought that freedom is following your desires. Just do whatever your heart desires, whatever makes you happy, right? Just follow your passions. And we know that doesn't work because our passions conflict. I have a passion to be in shape, but I also have a passion for food. <laughs> and those passions conflict. And, and, and the, the, that I'm, if I'm free to eat all the cookies that I want, what will happen? Well, I won't be able to run as far or lift as much or live as long. And that freedom will actually become a restriction. And so when I restrict myself now, it's for the freedom of, you know, Lord willing, meeting my grandkids, right? I've got seven kids that are probably gonna get married and have, I'm gonna have a lot of grandkids. And, and, and so when Deanna and I get to be Mammy and Pappy or Gma and Grandpa, you know, wh- whatever they end up calling us. And, and so freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. Honestly, the, the Bible calls that tyranny. Johnny Cash um, had a bunch of fame and he had a bunch of money and he said, and he got to the place in his life where he said, I can do whatever I want. So he started doing a bunch of drugs and drinking uh, a lot. And um, then he got to the place where he said, man, I thought, you know, I was drinking that bottle, but then you realize now the bottle's drinking you. I thought I was free to do all that. And then I realized what I thought was freedom actually put me in bondage. And so what we call freedom is actually often tyranny. And so the Bible says we abstain from certain things. Why? Because they were warring against us. They they are hurting us. So we stopped doing some things. Anybody remember the show, The Biggest Loser? Anybody watch that? Um, it's been a while, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so I remember one of the follow-up stories, and you probably got all sorts of these kind of stories. The, this kid had, had pulled away from a way that he was living, from a, from a lifestyle of eating whatever he wanted to eat, right? <laughs> and he had lost a lot of weight. And he was learning about how he had really, you know, of what he had put in his body um, was putting him in jeopardy. It was actually, it was a bad thing. And when he came home, he had a completely different body, he had lost so much weight, and, and he had a really different mentality about how to live. But as he arrived back home, his girlfriend wanted to celebrate um, his changes by making him a huge sheet cake and a bowl of ice cream and a bunch of chicken wings. <laughs> Sounds good, right? <laughs> and she, she saw him walk into the room and look at it, and he thought, this almost killed me. This almost killed me. That, that will kill me. I can't do that anymore. And she was offended and, and, and that hurt her feelings. And she was like, how dare you? And as you're watching you know, the show, you just want to shout out, get away from her. She's no good for you. <laughs> because you know, watching his transformation, you can see, hey, this girl wants you to indulge in some things that will end up killing you. But you see the tension, right? She thought it was good, but he knew this will kill me. And so you see that tension here in the scripture. As a follower of Jesus, we will come in, you know, God changed my heart and there's just some things that I used to do that I can't do anymore. I still love my friends, but I can't do everything that we used to do. And when you walk back into that, they won't always understand that. So we are different and we will be treated different. And so that's what it says in the next passage. There will be people that won't understand your abstinence will actually be odd in the culture. And some of you have encountered that. You say, you know, hey man, you can't party like that anymore. And they're like, why not? What's the matter with you? Oh, oh, you're religious. Oh, now, now you think you're better than us, huh? Uh, is that what this is? And they ascribe motive that's, that's insulting, right? To them and to you. That's what, that's what happened in Peter's day. It happened there too. The Christians wouldn't participate in certain parts of the culture of the day, there is these uh, gladiatorial games. 
and some of the big love fests and they wouldn't be a part of it. And they were branded as antisocial. And then they were even branded as a danger to society. Sound familiar? You are just odd, you're dangerous. And so Peter says here in his day, and it's often true in, in, in any country and in our day, people look at, will look at the believer and say, you're an evildoer, you're dangerous, we don't want you here. So we are God's people, which makes us not like other people, but here, I'm, we're coming to the turn in this story, it doesn't end there. We belong to the Lord and that makes us different from the world and so there'll be that tension. So what do we do, how do we live? Now we're approaching our key text that we opened up with this morning, where what Peter's not gonna say is, what you do is you launch a social media campaign and you come out and let them know how it is and you light them up and you blow them up and you own them. He doesn't say that, it's, he's not in attack mode. He says, and this is our third point, if you're, if you're taking notes, we are not just different from them, we are different for them. So he tells you to stop doing something and abstain from sinful desires, but here is the result. But verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Notice there's no violence in the text. He doesn't say you attack them, you come after them, they disagree with you, you own them. He doesn't say that. What does he say? I abstained from some things and that will make me odd. That will make me countercultural, but I engage in some things and that will make us attractive. I decided to keep my conduct honorable among the Gentiles. We're ethnos to different nations. If we're part of God's holy nation now and we enter into different nations as we're mixing with people with different values and different ideas, I wanna treat them in a way, Peter says, that has honor. Going back to our key text, living as servants of God, it says we honor everyone. Why do I do that? So when they speak of me as an evildoer, if people don't understand me and they mistreat me and they think that I'm advocating for what is really something that's not and we disagree and I'm, characterized or I mischaracterized, he says, we're gonna keep being honorable. Why? So they may see our good deeds. That's an active phrase there, right? I'm doing good in the hood. I'm doing good in the world. I'm not shrinking back from it. I'm not moving out into the woods with my kid and teaching her bow and arrows and ninja skills, and I'm, I'm, but I'm doing things that are good. All the, you know, although that would be kind of a fun thing to do maybe in your recreational time, but I'm moving into the culture and I'm doing things that are good that the culture will perceive as good, that they see what these people are doing and that it was a good thing. And so, then he tells you the result of doing that. I'm gonna do good deeds, why? So that they may glorify God on the day of his visitation. I'm different from them, but I'm not just different from them, I'm different for them. So I'll be odd, but I wanna be odd and attractive. <laughs> I wanna use my oddity for their benefit, not just retreat from society and be different from them. I wanna step into it and be different for them. Why? So that they can know the God who loves me. Because he loves them and I love him, so I love them. And so I wanna treat them in a way that makes them see how glorious my God is. So on the day he visits, they'll celebrate and they'll know him and they'll want him because they saw his beauty reflected in me. We're meant to be like Superman for the superhero fans in the room, strangers from another planet. What happens in Superman's origin story? You're not from here. You're, you're, you're here now and you're different, right? And in the origin story, one of the origin stories that I was reading, he was using that difference to excel in football, crushing the other high school kids, right? And his dad comes up to him as he's watching this. He says, man, you're not supposed to be different for your benefit. You're supposed to be different for them. Your greatest freedom is being a servant to people who need you, Superman. <laughs> and it's the same with us. We're different from them by the grace of God and so we're different for them so that they'll know that grace. He said in the text that they may see my good deeds and glorify God. 
And Peter's just getting this from Jesus, by the way. Jesus said it in Luke 6. He said, love your enemies. Does that sound anything like what you've encountered on social media this week? Enemy, what should I do? Oh yeah, love. Love your enemy. And then Jesus says, do good. Same word, actively express that love and do things that benefit them. And he even goes, he gives an example. This is, this is kind of, this is over the top here, Jesus. Lend, expecting nothing in return. He says, consider giving them money. <laughs> Why? Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God was gracious to us when we were rebelling against him. So we're gracious to them so that they can know the God that loves rebels and changes us into something new. That's what we do. Our abstinence will repel, but our actions will attract. That's what we do. We're not just different from them, we're different for them. And so verse 16, we live as free people. We're not obligated, but we, we, don't, we don't use our freedom as an excuse. We become servants of God because we know that truth. Freedom is just changing masters because everybody's gonna serve somebody like Pastor Brent always used to preach, right? <laughs> yep, because we know that truth. So we choose to serve one who loves us and gave his life for us. And how do we serve him? This is where we started, back to verse 17, our key text, we honor everyone. What's the good that we do? We honor them. Everyone in the Greek is the word all. It means everyone. Every person that you can think of, if they're a person, you honor them. And the word honor comes from the word to ascribe worth or value. I treat every person like they're valuable. Why? Because they are. Because my scripture tells me in Genesis that we all come from the same parents and that God made all of us in the image of himself. It's not based on capacity that you have dignity. Your dignity comes because the maker laid his hands on you and we have the image of God in us, not based on what we do, but because because of who we are. He made everybody, and so everybody has dignity. Genesis 1 says that we are all made in the image of God, and the Bible doesn't even fully explain what it means to be made in the image of God, but we get two directions in Scripture of how to treat all people who are made in the image of God. Later on in Genesis, it says if someone's in the image of God, you don't murder. Number two, in James, he says, if someone's made in the image of God, you don't slander. So whatever it means to be made in the image of God, which is all of us, we can know that one, I don't hurt you physically, and two, I don't hurt you with my mouth, that I treat you with honor. Why? Because God loves you, so I love you. So I do things that communicate honor to you and that you will recognize as good. So I do things to you so that you would understand God as good. Remember this. No matter who you come across in life, my Bible says you are made in the image of God who I love. So you have value and you have dignity and you have dignity if you disagree with me. You have value if you hate me. Listen to the words of Jesus. I love my enemies. I do good to those who hurt me. I pray for those who persecute me. Those are his words. So how do I treat you if you're my enemy or if you don't believe that I do? I honor you and I love you. That doesn't mean that I always agree with you. We, we may profoundly disagree. And Peter says this later, you've gotta be ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have, but you do it with gentleness and respect. I may disagree with you, but I can disagree with you and still honor you. We're gonna get ready to pray. And um, in just a second, but I wanna give you just some examples as we close of what honor looks like in the life of a believer. Um, Francis Schaeffer was so good at this. Um, he was basically the, the C.S. Lewis for the hippies. Um, for instance, you know, um, Schaefer used to say, yeah, I don't wanna debate people, uh, but he was always asked to because of, of his wisdom and his knowledge. And, and so he was invited on these university campuses to debate atheists and agnostics. And he always said, I won't debate them but I'll have a conversation with them. And he said, I, I wanna get on the stage and I wanna strongly object to their ideas, but so honor them in the process that it would not feel at all odd for me to invite them to dinner afterwards. And you know what? He always would. And they would often say yes. That I can disagree with you and still honor you. And for all of us as believers, we have to find a way to do that. How do I find a way as I, as, I, as I 
enter into my office space where they're gonna see me as countercultural and enter into the culture and enter into the contentious political world that we live in and communicate honor to people in the name of Jesus so that they will know him. We've gotta figure out how to do that. Watchman Nee, I love to tell this story. You've probably heard me share it a few time, a time or two if you've been around, tells a story of being in China. And a man was, he was irrigating his, his rice fields and he would go out and he would check on them and, and all the water would be drained out from his field. And rice fields, you've got to keep them really wet. And what he realized was that his neighbor was coming and, and cutting a hole in their fence so that the water would drain out of his own field and into the other guy's field. And so the guy was stealing all of his labor and all of his work. What do you do as a normal human being in that situation? (laughs) You go to the guy's house, right? And you have a conversation. You have a conversation with him, right? And you let him know what happens when you take a man's water. And so as a Christian, as a Christian, what do you do? He said, what I did is I just started pumping enough water to fill both of our fields. And when the guy saw that, Obviously he understood I was stealing from him and rather than him attacked me, he served me. That doesn't make sense. I don't understand you, but I want to understand you. And the the man came to know Christ because he saw Christ in that man. The last one, Polycarp, he was the Bishop of Smyrna in a day when Christians were persecuted. I mean, they were being dragged at that point into the Colosseum and murdered for sport in front of people. His parishioners kept trying to to hide him because he was the bishop. We don't wanna lose you because you're our leader. And finally said, guys, I can't run anymore. They're gonna find me. So I'm not gonna run anymore. And the soldiers came to the door to arrest him and the crowd was already in the Colosseum. I mean, they were already chanting his name probably. It's, It's time to go, Polycarp, let's go. They came to his house and when they arrived at the door, he greeted them and he said, I know it was a long journey for you to get here. Can I get you something to eat? And he fixed them refreshments. (laughs) And while the men who were there to arrest him and kill him ate the food that he prepared for them, he prayed for them for over an hour. And the record says they felt really bad. (laughs) They realized that this is the best kind of guy that we've got. So why are we coming after this guy? I mean, we should all be like this guy, not persecuting this guy. What was that guy like? Let me tell you, this is, this is where we're wrapping it up this morning. He, he was like our heavenly father in that moment because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sin. Behold, what manner of love the father has given to us so that you can be called children. Why would we be called that? It's because we who knew no mercy were shown mercy. We who knew no grace were shown grace. While we were a long way off, God came running. And when we could not fix us, the great physician came to heal us. When we could not live a perfect life. Jesus did it for us and we could not pay the debt of our sins, so he did. And when we were powerless in the face of death, he broke the back of its power. And when he rose from the grave, he said, you're coming with me. And whoever believes in me, you don't have to do a thing. I'm, I'm, I'm changing you on the inside and you once were a people, but now you're God's people. You're mine. You're you're beloved. You belonged to no one, but now you belong to me. It'll make you weird. (laughs) You'll be different. You'll be countercultural, but different doesn't mean offensive. It doesn't mean offended. Those who know grace show grace. And we're not just different from the world. We're different for the world. We came with, we come with a resource of love that overflows, right? It's that river, it's that fountain, it's that waterfall of love that's falling on us this morning so that when they see our good deeds, they will say, surely there is a great God behind that son, behind that daughter. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. 
God, I just pray that we would continue to be, have our arms open, first of all, to your great love for us. And Lord, that you would help us to honor, to be honor givers, to bestow honor, to give honor. Lord, that you made us all in your image. One church, one family, one cause. We would honor everyone. God, let us just start there. God, you've given us a new identity. And so may we walk in grace. May we overflow with an abundance of grace. Lord, you've given so much to us. Your river overflows. And can I even push us over? It's so overwhelming. It's so good. You love us so much. So God, let us take that and be filled up with it. Let us overflow that love, that same love that you've given us to a world that needs to know you. God, we thank you for it. In your mighty name, amen. If you're here this morning, and you don't know that love, and you're thinking this morning, Pastor Sean, I, I'm a broken person. I need the kind of rescue that you're talking about. I need uh, the Father to send his son for me because I'm in a broken place, and I need to be filled up, and I need that kind of love, and I need that kind of purpose. If that's you this morning with nobody looking around, I just want to pray with you. It's not, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to do um, that. That's not what this is about this morning. It's an invitation. An invitation is on the table from the Father and the Creator of all things this morning. And He's inviting you into a different kind of a life. He's inviting you into a life with purpose and a life of honoring people, loving Him and loving people. That's all it's about. So he's got, if you're, if you're here this morning and you feel like, well, I don't have purpose, I don't have, I don't have any joy, it's left me, I've, I've, I'm in a place of brokenness and you need a rescue this morning. If you would say yes to Jesus this morning with nobody looking around, would you just either just look at me or raise your hand this morning? I just want to pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I'd like us all to pray this together this morning. Father God. I give you my life. You gave your life for me, and I want to lay my life down for you. I surrender to your purpose and your plan. Thank you for dying on a cross and giving yourself for my freedom. I step into that this morning. I want to live a life towards you, towards the things you love. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen and amen. Can we celebrate those decisions this morning?